We are absolutely delighted to be once again brought to you by The Athletic. If you want a seven-day free trial of their service, which is a world-class football writing service covering Manchester United and the Premier League and football beyond, head over to www.theathletic.co.uk forward slash NQATpod. There you'll get a seven-day free trial and 50% off your first year's membership. And we'll talk more about that later in the show. Hi everyone, uh, I'm on my own today. Um, this is a special episode where I spoke with Carl Anker from The Athletic. And uh, in the first half, he's so Carl's Southampton correspondent for The Athletic and also the host of Talk of the Devils, their United podcast. Um, and he's a United fan, so it, I thought it'd be fun to talk to Carl. Uh, the first half of the show, we talk a lot about United and what's going on at the moment. And the second half of the show, I sort of asked him about what it's been like to um, cover Southampton this season. So I hope you all enjoy it. And uh, we'll be back next week after the Chelsea game with a regular show. And uh, it turns out when Ed's not here, I kind of miss him. Wherever you are, Ed, I hope you're well. Anyway, here's my chat with Carl. So I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Carl Anker, the Athletics Southampton correspondent and also the host of the Talk of the Devils podcast, which I think I'm illegally allowed to call the second best Manchester United podcast on the internet. Um, what the first is, we can compete to find out. Um, how are you doing, Carl? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Hello. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here. Um, we're recording this in the middle of the winter break, which... I have to say, from my perspective, it's a massive relief not to have to watch United this weekend. Yeah, uh, it feels as if they're going to play Wolves again. Such is the way of everything. <laughs> I think you might be right. I'm just going to check the fixtures. Oh no, it says it's Chelsea. Okay. Phew. Right. Surely, surely some mistake. Um, so, all right, first question. Which was your favourite Man United versus Wolves game of the season so far? It would have to be the first one where Paul Pogba played and everyone just sort of honed in on Paul Pogba. Uh, it, it was so good. It was. It was such a nice little, oh yeah, he's he's still a very good footballer when he's supported by people and is allowed to do what he wants. Well, do what he's best at, which is garnish games. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? So, okay, I, I, it seems like a, as good a place to any as good a place as any to start up has been, there just hasn't been enough discussion or column inches about this topic, Carl. So, no, uh, no. so let's, let's get into it. Um, do you reckon there's any chance whatsoever that Pogba stays at United this summer? No, he's gone. Right. He's, he, he is essentially serving out his notice. So obviously I wrote about this recently uh, in an article about Virgil van Dijk, about this concept of having like a plus one season of when a player goes, look, I want to leave, but I'll give you an extra season just so we can secure your league position and get me a better deal. So Hazard had the plus one season with Chelsea last year. Uh, Henri had his one with Arsenal and he was mostly injured. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's like an unspoken agreement of the players gone, I've done all I can. I am going to leave, but I'll give you one more season. And unfortunately for Pogba, his plus one season has been scuppered yeah. via injury. 
I mean, I guess the 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 original plus one season that I think about is two two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Ronaldo, um, after the Moscow Champions League, getting getting one more season out of Cristiano Ronaldo, I think that was that that was him saying to Fergie, "All right, I'll give you one more season." Because he he sort of loved Fergie, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it's similar. You know, Luis Suarez had one with with Liverpool, where he basically went right. I'll give you one more year, and then he nearly won a Premier League. It's it's a well known thing, and I think it's a shame that Pogba has been injured because in the games he has played, he has dramatically improved Manchester United, and they've gone from a team that can only play counter attacking football to a team that has a lockpick. Um, but I think no, I think he he'll be he'll be gone very very soon and uh, I think what's quite disappointing is the, the conversation about how he's not really rushing himself back from injury which I think is fair uh, if if we are having this unspoken agreement that Pog was giving you one more season and he's injured there's no point rushing him back repeatedly so he keeps getting injured when you kind of understand he wants to leave like let him preserve his body and then go off to the football club he really wants to go to which is most likely Real Madrid but the the thing about that that seems absolutely mad to me is that he's played at least two games this season injured. He played against Rochdale. People are like having a go at him for not coming back soon enough. He played against Rochdale injured. Like Paul Pogba should not be playing injured against Rochdale, which which I guess brings us to the the question of the day. So um, when um, when he was appointed, uh, when he was in temporary charge, your friend of mine, uh, Daniel Tillock, the uh, the host of the Talking Tactics podcast, of which you are a, a, an occasional member of the cast, Carl, uh, at this point. <laughs> um, uh, but he said to me, because I was like, no, I'm buzzing about Solskjaer getting the job. I want him to get the job. He was like, you are crazy because he's a Chelsea fan and he remembers Roberto Di Matteo all too well, I guess. Um, it felt to me like it was the right time for United to make a, a bold... Um, I mean, I was going to say forward-looking, but like sort of uh, amalgam of forward and backward-looking appointment. Forward-looking in the sense of someone looking to prove himself. Backward-looking as in looking back to the kind of nostalgia era of it all. But you were uh, you were you were pretty sober about the appointment in the first. Oh yeah, I was. I was very much do not do not under any circumstance hire this man full time. And I said the best thing you can do is stick to your plan. If you had the plan of you you give Solskjaer time to de-weed and declutter and then you bring in someone permanent and then you, you move from there. I remember you turned up on Talking Tactics just after the PSG game. And I think, uh, I may be getting the sense, I may be paraphrasing here, but you went, it was always going to happen after the PSG game because not only was the sentiment so strong for Solskjaer, but also it was easy to hire him afterwards. You used the term easy because it just sort of, it fit in both being like an adventurous, forward-thinking idea of, of the, the returning hero. And also it was deeply nostalgic. It was one of Fergie's, you know, the, the goal scoring, one of Fergie's greatest ever triumphs coming back. And even then, I, did, I wrote an article for The Athletic at the time when it was athletic soccer about how I did the pros and cons of Solskjaer coming in. And I said, even if it's bad, the fact they gave him a three-year contract indicates the fact that Manchester United club officials said it's not Solskjaer's job to turn United into title challenges. It's his job to basically move all the deadwood, de-weed and declutter and make sure when the next person takes in charge, they have a blank slate. Which I think, in theory, if you squint and take enough steps backwards, Solskjaer is kind of doing that. There, there's, 
there's the beginnings of a, and I'm being very optimistic here, way more optimistic than I should be. Um, there's the beginnings and seeds and base of a somewhat interesting Manchester United side there. If you are the type of person that enjoys playing football manager or playing FIFA, there is enough about that United squad where you're like, okay, cool. I can turn this into a title winning side in two seasons pretty quickly. The thing is that's football manager and FIFA. And also you listener have a little bit more footballing sense than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it seems. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so upset. Um, he's, he's a remarkable manager. I've never, I've never seen a manager of a top six side, quote, you know, air quotes, top six side, be so rattled by outside sources. So the fact that he responded to comments from Ian Wright about Marcus Rashford's injury and comments from Robin Van Persie about uh, being happy after losses in back-to-back weeks, I'm going, oh, mate, you are... Mm-mm. Bad idea. That really surprised me. Yeah, the the Tranmere keeper might be the best of the bunch as well. Like the, the, yeah, that's, that's pretty reactive, isn't it? At that point, and and I suppose that shows so much about the way Manchester United play football. They've got a manager who is so reactive and so easily brought down by outside comments, and they've got a football team that is so reactive and can only play one way, which is give us a counter attacking space and win a run. So, um. We can all agree, I think, that United are a shambles. There is definitely a school of thought which says Solskjaer is in the midst of a massive rebuilding job and he's doing enough of the right things to justify his position. Um, There's enough of us who will steadfastly refuse to call for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's head because of our age. So it's literally it's literally impossible. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've I've apologised to the young people that listened to this before. <laughs> sorry to anyone who was under the age of seven in 1999 or under the age of five. I guess. Um, so I'm sure there's plenty of seven year old fans that enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a problem. Um, but the 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 idea that he's kind of I I really have to say I don't buy the idea that there's a master plan because because we just have to look at who's in charge of the master plan at the higher le- higher levels of the club and and we know that that's a shambles don't we I I say this every time I'm on Totally Football show or any time I'm on Talking Tactics just where is Manchester United's director of football not because I believe the top director of football is a sil- magic silver bu- bullet that will fix everything at Manchester United but simply when Mourinho was removed in the Christmas of 2018 it was said they were going to get a temporary manager, then get a long-term manager, and then hire in the director of football. And that was the plan. And they failed on that wholesale. They got a temporary manager in Solskjaer, they made him the permanent manager, and they didn't get a director of football. It's the There is nothing about anything Manchester United say that makes any sort of sense and, and holds up to scrutiny. This idea of, uh, in, in the summer transfer window, when they were going, right, we're going to, tr- we're going to go away from this sort of Galactico style vision of, of buying players that increase our social media profile and bottom line and then get hungry young British talent. There was nothing about the way they said that that led me to believe they truly believed that was a winning way of winning football. They simply said that, in my impression, because it was the opposite of what they did last time. And that's the problem Manchester United have right now. Basically, every single managerial appointment since Ferguson has left has been sort of a reaction to the previous one. Every single signing they try and make seems to be a reaction to a previous signing. And now we're in this state where basically now any big money signing seems to be immediately compared to Paul Pogba. So sort of Bruno Fernandes, oh, he's the midfield lockpick 
deep lying number eight, number ten, and he doesn't preen his hair, and he's not going to be like Paul Pogba. And you're like, well, what does that mean? There is just total reaction rather than long term planning, and I think it's it's damning on the Premier League that a team like Manchester United can be failing so badly and still somehow be in the top half of the table. It's the only thing Manchester United have right now is just the insulating power of wealth. Well, I mean, I think we're four places above Arsenal in the table at the moment. Which is remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. I think last week was the first time Spurs have been ahead of us all season. Uh, This week, like this, after the last game week. Um, it's, it's, It's been crazy and there's been just enough you know, I went to the Newcastle game just after Christmas and then we beat Burnley 2-0 just after we beat Newcastle 4-1. But in both those games, you know, it should be pointed out that the defenders did pass the ball to our strikers for the goals. And, and you know, I, I actually think in the club's defence, Fernandez is a signing that makes incredible sense if you assume Pogba's leaving. I mean, Ed was saying on the, after, the, after his debut, Ed was saying on our show, listeners will have heard this before, of course, but that... If you look at his numbers and you didn't know that United had signed Fernandez and you just saw the data from that game, you'd be like, oh, Pogba's back, is he? Because the numbers look, you know, very Pogba-esque. But I also want to come back to something you'd said. So um, uh, in last week's Friday show, Ed interviewed a writer called Wayne Barton who's just written a book about the um, Dave Sexton and Ron Atkinson eras at United. And United's history with... Um, obviously, it's totally different people making the decisions, but historically, United are bang on the model of swinging from one kind of manager to another. So you had Tommy Doherty, who was this kind of incredibly charismatic, um, sort of bigger than the club type figure, replaced by Dave Sexton because he was mild mannered and not so controversial and outspoken then Dave Sexton's football was perceived as dull. So you've got Ron, big Ron Atkinson because he was a sort of jovial, avuncular figure who played attacking football at West Brom. And then Fergie, who was, I don't know, don't know if listeners will be aware of this, not a jovial, avuncular figure <laughs> in the late 1980s. Um, so yeah, it's it's the, the kind of wild swings back and forth are, are not new. It's remarkable how quickly Manchester United reverted to their pre-Ferguson self. Yeah. Um, well, and I say remarkable, and, and perhaps this is incredibly naive of me. Um, I, I suppose what I've said ever since Ferguson's left is sort of this is this is my true awakening as a football fan. This is when I'm truly understanding what football is about and the inherent <laughs> chaos and nonsensical decision making involved in football. Whereas you know, for years I've just sort of been coddled and bubbled by the fact that Manchester United had arguably, well, probably the greatest ever football manager, club football manager of all time. And now that's gone. It's just, oh, now I'm stepping out into the big wild world. And there's things like VAR. <laughs> and it, I mean, the, of course, we know it shouldn't be as bad as it is. And and that's, I guess that's the frustrating thing. Um, what do you reckon United should do next? If you were... If you were given carte blanche, what would you? How would you steer the ship at United next? I think now you need to get Mauricio Pochettino on the phone right now because um, Cy Lloyd, uh, sports journalist for Joe and a couple of other publications, has been making some really interesting points about if Manchester City continue this sort of irregular footballing ability 
and they don't do well in the Champions League, there's a very good chance Pep Guardiola is going to leave City. And there's also a non-tiny chance that Manchester City will go in and get pot. And I think the question of Pochettino and where he goes and what he does is going to be the sort of big... <clears throat> it's sort of in every single transfer window, there's one big player that goes to a club and it creates a domino effect everywhere. And I think Pochettino is going to be that in managerial terms. Wherever Pochettino goes to next is going to kickstart a little domino effect within three or four other clubs. If he goes to Bayern Munich, that does huge changes for what's going on in the Bundesliga. If he goes to Italy, same thing. If he goes to Spain, huge changes there. And I think if he goes to City, that's the decade locked up for Manchester United in terms of are you going to be a Champions League contending team, in my eyes, because... I think he's, I really think he's, you know, to use a boxing analogy, pound for pound, he's one of the top five managers in the world. And I think if you want to persist with Solskjaer for the end of the season, there's just about enough to say, you know what, fine, we'll write the season off. We'll let Pogba go. We'll give Solskjaer for the end of the season. We'll, we'll continue in the way we want to do. But also you need to right now have some serious conversations about who's going to be the next manager next season. Who's going to be your director of football next season? And, and you know, stuff like who's going to be your captain? Because this sort of Harry Maguire is the captain because Ashley Young left is a weird one, isn't it? Um, yeah, there need to be some very serious conversations about what happens next in Manchester United for the next two to three years. And I think the first question is who's the manager going to be? And I think there is no footballing reason to continue with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when there's, you know, the one of the top five managers out there in just available to hire so serious question where would you rank Oli in the best managers in the Premier League at the moment you've seen I'm guessing you've seen every Premier League team live this season must be close to that right yeah I've seen every Premier League team at least once now yeah and I would say Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's bottom half yeah I'd say I'd say um of the managers still currently in employment he is one of the worst. Um, so I, 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 I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a better football manager than Marco Silva, based on what I've seen of that Everton side. But Marco Silva is no longer in tenorship. And I think this was raised by Daniel Story as well. If you, if you ask the fans of every Premier League club, would you swap your manager for Solskjaer? Nearly all of them would say no. And I think if you went into the, yeah. champ- if you went into the championship as well, quite a few of their managers would say, no, why would I swap Bielsa for... <laughs> Well, okay, listen. That's that is that is a very elite <laughs> championship suggestion. But I think yes, the real problem yes. is. But there are there are at least there are at least four, maybe five clubs in the championship where their fan base went. No, I wouldn't want to take. I wouldn't want to take Solskjaer either. And that's that's utterly damning. You know what? I would. I think you'd have to go a long way down the pyramid to find a club who'd be like, yeah, I'd take Solskjaer today. I really do. And that's you know that's me, a lifelong. Well, adult lifelong Ole Gunnar Solskjaer super fan talking. Um, you know, I, I wanted him in the Moyes days. I want. I was like, I think we should hire Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. His team played really nice football, and he seems good. Um, but neither of those, <laughs> neither of those things are happening now. Okay, so we're going to take a very quick break, and then we'll come back, and I'm going to uh, ask you a load of questions about what it's like uh, covering a team week in, week out this season. 
you want more from us, the people what brought you this here podcast, you can follow us on various social media platforms. Ed is on Twitter at NQATPod. You can find us on Facebook at uh, No Question About That Podcast, formerly United Rant. Cheers, Facebook. Or my personal platform of choice, you can follow us on Instagram at NQATPod. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the chat that I'm having with Carl. Carl, of course, works for The Athletic, and they are the sponsors of this episode of the show. Um, The Athletic is a subscription journalism service bringing together a team of world-class writers to cover the Premier League and beyond football beyond that. And of course, if you're into American sports, incredible coverage of American sports too. Uh, United in particular are covered, there's articles by Andy Mitten, but they're covered uh, day-to-day by uh, Laurie Whitwell um, and then heavy hitters of the football writing world, people like Daniel Taylor and Oliver Kay, um, George Colkin, Colkin this week um, did an interview with David Ginola that I found particularly fascinating. Um, there was there was a great article that Laurie wrote um, with uh, Greg Evans about VIP uh, VIP training, gold leaf steak and 25k champagne uh, about the winter break in Dubai and the sort of extraordinary excesses of footballers on tour um i i really like i like the athletics app i find it very like it's a nice place to read about football and the content is excellent so like we've been talking about this for weeks now and and pretty much every week there's a there's another good reason to to sign up i think um and of course one of the things is it's like very affordable particularly with the deal Eight pence a day. I'm on my own. I could really like go to town singing the eight pence a day song at this point. Uh, woke up this morning and had eight pence in my pocket. I decided to use it for an athletic subscription with 50% off at theathletic.co.uk. This song's not very good. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash NQAT pod. Um, and also like um, I've really enjoyed this. It's a funny thing, but um, I wouldn't have read this stuff in all likelihood, if Carl wasn't a friend, but I've really enjoyed reading his coverage of Southampton and that's kind of led me to to read some some in-depth coverage of stuff around other clubs that basically almost literally wouldn't exist without the Athletics. So of course, United, there's, there's plenty of coverage everywhere, but, um, but it's a particularly high-quality version of that. So, um, and yeah, check out their podcast range too, including, of course, Talk of the Devils. Uh, which we talk quite a lot about in the second half of this show. Uh, so we'll get back to that for a seven-day free trial and 50% off your first year. That's that's half. That's a lot. 50% off your first year of subscription. Um, head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NQAT pod. Okay, so um, we're here with Carl Anker, who is the Athletic Southampton correspondent and the host of their United podcast, Talk of the Devils. Um, we talked a lot about United in the first half of the show, so with apologies uh, to those of you out there who just want us to keep talking about United, I'm kind of fascinated by the story of uh, your season so far, basically, Carl, um, because I think it's fair to say... Um, when the Athletic made their kind of big pitch and and can have an embedded journalist in in every club, lots of 
people with very different levels of um, kind of relationship, pre-existing relationship with those clubs. And you were basically forging a relationship from scratch. And I told you this the other day, and so I'm not just saying it because we're recording, but I've honestly been like quite moved and genuinely quite inspired by the fact that you've like thrown yourself with both feet and both hands into the culture of the club at Southampton. And it certainly looks from, you know, what I've seen from Twitter and, and things like that, that you've been like properly embraced by, by the fans there. Given that you are a United fan, are you starting to develop some uh, some Southampton leanings at this point? I do describe them as we in casual conversation. I think if you give me <laughs> if you see me in the pub and I have maybe two pints, I'll go, yeah. But when we we play quite good at pressing football, I'll go, hang on, what? Um, <laughs> and I do obviously I do use them as an argument for and against things going on at Manchester United. So in my opinion, Southampton right now have a better football manager and a director of football. So they're better run than Manchester United. Sorry. Uh, yeah, um, and there are things like that. That's pretty I'm going, crazy. I will go to Old Trafford towards the end of this season fully expecting Southampton to get at least a point from Manchester United because they're not. They've got a better manager. He's not naive and he understands how to exploit the two or three things Manchester United aren't very good at doing. And I will most likely do a little fist pump when Danny Ings does Danny Ings things. <laughs> Oh, that's too far. You've gone too far at this point. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm intensely protective of Danny Ings to the point of uh, if, if Danny Ings wants England caps, but I'm also going, Danny, please just stay fit. <laughs> so what, what's it been like to kind of take on a new club from scratch? That must have been like a significant challenge when you were first presented with the idea. Yeah, it was sort of. There's that, uh, it feels bad to quote Dick Cheney, but he, <laughs> he did make a very good uh, comment about known knowns and known unknowns. Sure. And I think when I first came to Southampton, I had a large batch of, of unknown unknowns and, and quite a, you know, a smaller, but also very large batch of known unknowns. So the first thing I did when I moved to Southampton was sort of, I loaded up a copy of uh, FIFA 19 started playing with Southampton, hardest difficulty, just to figure out that sort of side of the squad. I went off and started talking to a bunch of historians of the club. Um, I've been given quite a few books. So I'm looking at my bookcase now. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, six books on Southampton uh, on my bookcase right now that I'm slowly reading through and learning as much as I can as possible. Um, I had like a, a master list of Southampton club legends I wanted to hunt down and find that I've slowly began to track down so I've you know now met Malatizia I've now met Franny Benali I'm trying to I met uh, James Beattie and I'm trying to meet two or three more going forward so that was the stuff that was my initial sort of learning lesson then there was obviously learning the squad and the first team as the season starts so even now to this day you know you, you're stood in the mix zone and a player walked past and you, you I still have to like squint and go wait which one are you again are you this one or this one which it's quite hard, <laughs> even as a Manchester United fan. When Manchester United came down to St Mary's and United players were walking past, I did still have to go. Wait, which one are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's squads just... are way bigger than you think they are, and also because so many of these players, how they look on television is completely different from how they look like in real life. You... The thing that always takes me back is Deli Ali is way taller than I think he is. Do you think they all look way skinnier as well in person? Yes, really, not skinny, but sinewy, like really yeah. lean. Yeah, Brad Pitt and Fight Club sort of 
lean muscles and abs and whatnot. Um, yeah, Deli Ali always takes me back. I'm like, oh yeah, you're six foot one. Um, the uh, the the experience of because uh, you know you said like about recognizing the players. What I find, what I found when going to games to cover United is, you know, be asked about the opposition afterwards and think, oh, actually, I didn't even think about them once. Do you find that you just like watch games through an entirely Southampton prison for the most part when you're there? Yeah. So obviously the one of the big things the Athletic do is they don't do on the whistle match reports or even on the day. So if Southampton nearly always play Saturday at three o'clock, um, and my article on the on the game that happened on Saturday doesn't go live until Monday morning most days. So I try and you know we're we're told pick a subject that will last, um, make sure it's got a good half life on it, and make sure you're you're genuinely trying to inform um, readers something new that will happen. And obviously, because I'm watching a non-top six side, it's that weird perspective of, oh, wait, I'm probably the only one talking about this that in depth. Um, so one one example I always bring up was um, after, on Boxing Day, Southampton went to Stanford Bre- beat Chelsea 2-0. And nearly every single national newspaper was basically, how on earth did Chelsea lose? And it took a while for me, you know, my article about this is how Southampton did it and this is what what's going on. I think the really interesting thing about Southampton is obviously at the start of the season, they were absolutely rotten, you know, properly bad. And there was a point somewhere around about November where I was watching games on one tab, um, typing up stuff in the press box. And then also in one of my tabs on my laptop, I was looking at the championship table and just looking at what, what club, if, I, if Southampton got relegated, what club would I, would I possibly end up having to cover next? Um, and it's got a lot better now. And I think I still have this interesting thing where I watch a game of Southampton uh, especially against a top six side or a top half side. And I'll go, this game is quite bad to watch. And then I'll blink again. I'll go, this game isn't bad to watch. This game is quite good because Southampton are forcing errors and mistakes from the opposition, which is something I'm still having to unlearn of just, just because the favorite for the game is playing badly doesn't mean the underdog is not doing anything. And because of the way Southampton play, very, very high pressing, trying to disrupt passing lanes, it can take maybe 20 minutes watching a Chelsea Southampton game or watching a Tottenham Hotspur Southampton game before your brain makes that big, oh, hang on, Southampton are dominant side for good reason, not because Spurs are having an off day. It's Southampton's forcing the issue, um, which I find very, very fun. It's kind of interesting from a United perspective to hear, you know, the, a conversation like Hassan Hootel is obviously someone that came with a brilliant reputation and made clearly made some pretty positive changes pretty well and kept them up in difficult circumstances. And at the beginning of the season, it was looking a little bit like, oh, was that just a blip? Um, could you see some of the seeds of what was going to start to go right while it was still rotten? Or was it actually, mm, this kind of looks like it's wildly out of control and then something clicked? It's very much the latter. Okay. So okay. obviously I watched Leicester, I watched Southampton nil, <laughs> Leicester 9. And I, I heard rumours, Carl, on the internet that that was not a turning point. Someone said, <laughs> "No, that was so. That was that was really, really bad, and that is an, a public embarrassment in ways I still fathom. I can't quite fathom. And it was sort of if if you're an XG fan, Leicester scored nine goals on an XG of about five point five. Um, it, it was just one of those freak all your your bad decisions come into roost in one game. But even then, the week afterwards. Southampton had to play Everton, and I still maintain that Everton game was the worst game of football I've had to watch all season. It was a boring. Also, Southampton were just as bad as they were in the Leicester game, but Everton were managed by just a terrible Marco Silva um, and couldn't get those 24 shots on 
goal to translate to anything more than two goals. Um, so that was really big, really bad. And then, of course, the international break happened. So everyone got two weeks off. And then when Southampton re-emerged, they nearly beat Arsenal. It took a 96th minute Lacazette equaliser that Lacazette didn't even celebrate to, to keep Arsenal in it. And then, you know, that was the Saturday. On the Thursday, Arsenal lost to Eintracht Frankfurt. And then on, on, on the Friday, Emery had been sacked. So the way I always put it was basically something happened over that international break. And I, I, I think it was a, a batch of team meetings and whatnot to, to really get Hassel's point across to Southampton. So one thing I always found quite baffling about, there's constant links between Hassel and Jurgen Klopp. And you know, Hassel was nicknamed the Klopp of the Alps, which he doesn't particularly like. He doesn't really like the similarity, anyone making similarities between the two. Because even though they did the same coaching badges, he wants to be his own separate man. Um, and the most telling thing, difference between the two, and I think the biggest reason why Hassel probably will never manage a big club in the same way Klopp does or, or have the same palpable effect on a club that Klopp does, is Hassel is a lot more militaristic and a lot more um, boot up the ass rather than arm around the shoulder. He's not very good at that. He's... He uh, he's very much, yeah, there's pressure, but we don't feel pressure or I don't need to tell him what he needs to do to improve. He's very, very much uh, uh, buck your ideas up. Whereas, you know, you see Klopp, he's smiling, he's very, very happy, he's very much, don't worry about it, it's going to get a lot better where, where you can really, really see hassle on the sideline for a certain game, just go apoplectic at players, especially as wide players. There was a bit in the FA Cup replay against Spurs where he was screaming and shouting at Buffal because Buffal wasn't getting into position, which is totally his prerogative. Buffal was absolutely out of position. And in a hustle system, the wide men have to be very, 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 very diligent and maintain their shape. And I think at the start of this season, he had lost his assistant manager, Danny Roll, to Bayern Munich. And uh, I've heard many accounts from players and people around the club that Roll was the good cop to Hassel's bad cop, which is fine. Every manager has these moments. And I think every single manager out there needs an assistant to basically go to a player. He doesn't really mean it. Don't worry about it. He'll be fine next week. And Hassel didn't have that at the start of the season. His, his assistant manager didn't join until um, the start of September, this Richard Kitzblitzer. And I think, I think it was over this international break where he basically went, boys, what do I have to do to get you to press the ball in the way I want you to press the ball? And I think what probably happened is that two or three of the players went, do you just stop calling us clowns? And they probably, you know, came to an agreement. Maybe that's happening in Dubai right now as we speak. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's what Jesse Lingard's saying to Ali Solskjaer right now. I mean, the last time Manchester United went away for warm weather training, they came back and all got injured against Liverpool, so... That's right. Mm. I think the time before that, they all got selfies with Diego Maradona, um, which you would, obviously, if you had the opportunity to. Um, so, to... Uh, to I wanted to ask one more question about your experience covering Southampton, actually, which was, what's it been like? This is this is completely self-indulgent, this question, because I'm just fascinated by it. Uh, what's it been like establishing a relationship with a fan base that you're kind of, you're clearly working in service of? Like, it's really evident from the outside that you see your job as providing something that these that Southampton fans are not getting elsewhere what's it been like to build that relationship with those fans it's good it's it's a challenge the way I describe it is sort of 30% of football fans absolutely adore and love the athletic 30% of fans don't like it and are rankled by the idea of having to 
spend money on an app or on a subscription service and then you've got 30 percent of people that don't know who we are and, and need a bit of convincing and then that it's that final 30 percent i gotta work on and then as for the extra 10 percent maths is hard maths is hard it maths is hard i've, I've had some really good away days with on the train and i've tried making myself very much available to southampton fans so my dms are open on social media and very often i get fans just message me at whatever hour going would you know about this and very often my answer is i don't give me some time or have you seen this and i go i have seen this thank you for passing it on um so on match days i always try to wear green trousers or all green as sort of like ready identifiable Hello, come find me. Uh, and away games when I'm on trains very often, I do get some fans come up to me and go, are you Carl Anker? I am. Uh, and then we have a discussion and whatnot. I had a really good visit to um, Newcastle recently, which was like the best part of a four and a half hour train journey. Uh, I had to all the Southampton fans in front of me and we talked all about a couple of things. And then sort of on the table next to me were some other Southampton fans that I went to Burnley with. And I was sort of, oh, you all, how are you all doing? And then recently, you know, I went to the away fan pub for the FA Cup game, and a few of the fans were there going, "Oh, it's, it's you again? How you doing?" Like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm not bad, and that's quite nice. And obviously, my pitch right now is I'm trying to learn as much as possible about Southampton first team Premier League season 2019 2020. And if you need to know anything about XG or why Danny Ings is scoring loads of goals or why James Ward-Prowse is way better in the number six position than he is when he's playing on the right, I can tell you that. I make absolutely no claims whatsoever to tell you to know anything more than a Southampton fan about anything that's happened before maybe the last three seasons. So a fan tells me, actually, Nathaniel Klein was the best right back in the Premier League for like this short spell in 2013. I will go, okay, I'll go research that. And the great thing about the athletic is I have the tools to go watch all that footage and look at stuff and see if something's like a weird freak phenomenon for Southampton or if it's just sort of Southampton have always had a problem with this. So there's that. And then the rest of it, you know, to figure out Southampton's future is a collaboration between myself and the fan base. So if the fans are going, tell me more about this under 23 player that I've been told about since he was 15, I'm going to go off to an under 23 game and try and watch him and then come back and go, here's what I saw. And I think that's the future of what I'm going to try and do for as long as I'm at Southampton. And then you've also now, um, as part of your athletic gig, got a, a brief to cover Manchester United professionally again uh, in the form of the Talk of the Devils podcast, um, which I've been enjoying. And, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy because obviously, like, it's a very different tack from ours, isn't it? It's, it's uh, could you... Do you sort of talk me through the, the kind of pitch for, for where the Talk of the Devils podcast fits into the landscape? Um, yes, so I'm, I'm the host and I'm very much the, as, as I'm the Southampton reporter and I'm the one watching Southampton games every single week, my Manchester United knowledge has taken a bit of a dip. I'm not watching them every single week anymore, but what we've got is we've got Laurie Whitwell, the athletic reporter in United who goes to all the press conferences, who watches as many games as possible, both men's team, women's team and the, and the youth levels as well. So he's, I'm sort of the naive, sort of lapsed Manchester United fan, as it were. And I'm going, Laurie, please help me make sense of this football team. Um, and then on top of that, we always have an additional guest. Uh, at the moment, it's, it's Andy Mitten from United We Stand, who, who, I mean, he's forgotten more things about Manchester United than I ever knew. Uh, I think he's written three books on Manchester United now as well. And his great 
I want to say his great uncle has played for Manchester United as well. Um, so he's fabulous, just a fabulous resource. And he's really interesting for me as a child of the 90s to explain when I'm going, is this abnormal for Manchester United to do this? He's very much, well, if you remove the Fergie years, this is what United have been about, which I think that is really cool. And I think that's my favourite thing you know, in sort of my, I'm really learning how football works now. Fergie's gone. I'm just getting, I just love hearing about more fans who remember stuff pre-Fergie going, mate, you have no idea what it was like before the Scott son King came down and saved us. <laughs> so we try and do that. We, we uh, recently, our most recent episode had a little interview with Nicky Butt as well, which I find really, really interesting. And it's just sort of understanding what, I mean, Manchester United still has at its best is just a collection of very well-meaning people trying to live up to some very lofty ideals I had to play football. And then when Man United are well, they, they, they achieve those lofty goals. Um, and when Manchester United are not so well, I find it very interesting hearing how these people are trying to reach those lofty goals again. Um, so hearing stuff from Nicky Butt is Fantastic. So thank you very much for your time on this Saturday afternoon when you've literally got finally got some actual human time <laughs> off, taking time out to talk about football. It's much, much appreciated. Um, uh, where can the people find you? Where can they find your stuff? Uh, great. I uh, You can find me on Twitter, Anchorman616. So Anchor, upon my surname, A-N-K-A, man, and then number 616. Um, that's my Twitter. Um, you can find me on The Athletic if you want any of my ratings, not just on Southampton, but also on player culture. So I I played a lot of FIFA, so I'm really interested in esports. Um, I recently had a conversation with Paul Pogba's barber, so I'm going to be getting that out. Soon. I'm so excited soon. about that. Um, <laughs> that that's in the offing soon. Uh so these are things I'll be writing about as well. Also, I, I don't just write about football. So uh by the time this podcast goes live, I would have been on BBC Radio 4 Saturday Review. So you can check that out on BBC iPlayer. Um I do write about video games, so you can find me sometimes on Games Radar, you can find me sometimes on The Guardian, um and uh, on NME reviewing music as well. So I, I try and do a lot and I drink way too much coffee. Uh, and my DM is always open. So if you have any questions about anything, really, come say hi. Brilliant. Uh, and if you want to read Carl's writing, hey, guess what? You can get a seven-day free trial. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if anyone's heard this before. You can get a seven-day free trial and 50% off your first year subscription by going to theathletic.co.uk slash nqatpod. Um, Brill, thanks for your time, Carl. And uh, we'll have you back on the show when... like. Uh, what I would love is to have you back on the show... If United ever get good again, not that I'm saying we have to wait until United get good for that to happen. I'm just looking forward to seeing what it's like to know you as a as a fan of a club that's doing well because I imagine it is funny. Oh, I'm, I'm going to be insufferable. I think I've, I've been on Twitter since 2011, so there is one title. There's tweets from the Van Persie title winning season, um, but there's nothing else since. And I think I said this. I said this. I think after. It must have been after one of like the really embarrassing losses last season, near the end of last season. I think it was maybe Huddersfield, where I just simply went, none of you remember me when United were good, but you'll see. You'll all see how insufferable I'll be. Brilliant. I think there's a lot of us out there that feel similarly about that. Um, thanks very much, Carl, and we'll speak to you soon. Cool. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>